Hello, and welcome to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast, a resilience podcast where we talk about all the challenging things that we're working to overcome, like anxiety, health, and relationship issues. My name is Sarah. This week, we are in for a real treat on the Learning to Slay the Bees podcast. I was super excited when I booked this episode, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. So as some of you know, I've opened my eyes up to sobriety when I quit drinking entirely almost two years ago, and I talked about this in episode 111, how and why I gave up alcohol for a year. Well, that was almost another year ago, and honestly, I really can't believe it when I think about it that like I haven't had even an inkling for a drink in two years and I wasn't somebody who was drinking heavily but I did have challenges with if I had drinks having sleep issues and different things coming up and I just decided I'd had enough of this thing being a thing in my life and decided to move away from it and give it a try. And I think there are a lot of people out there thinking about this. We've recently heard new health recommendations, particularly in Canada, looking at really decreasing those limits of alcohol consumption um, in order to really help our physical, social, mental, emotional health. And so I thought it would be great to connect with Jennifer Hurst, who is a sober coach. She has an amazing social media platform that I keep seeing putting out such positive things into the world, and she's spreading the message of sobriety, its benefits, and she helps others to feel accepted in their sobriety. I think this is something that is so helpful to have community around it because, you know, you can sort of feel like the odd one out at times when you're at an event or, you know, preparing for a holiday and you're thinking, oh, how does this work with no alcohol? It is so in our society. Um, We celebrate so much with alcohol. Um, It's very normalized in our society. We see it in shows on TV, in movies all the time. It's become a big thing in mom culture where, you know, there's kind of that, oh, it's wine o'clock or like, how am I going to get through my day? I guess a whole bunch of wine. Um, And so we just, we see it so much now. And when we think about our children too, it's something that we're starting to see very early that they see it normalized. And I think it's just something to be really aware of. So I want to talk to Jen, hear all about sobriety from her perspective, and hopefully it'll open your mind a little bit to thinking about what this really is. If it's something you've thought of trying at all, she's definitely got some tips around that. And um, even tips to support friends that maybe are sober and what you can do to kind of make them feel included as well. So I really hope you enjoy this episode. I loved speaking with Jen. Let's hear more from Jen Hurst. So welcome, Jen, to the podcast. I'm happy to connect with you today. Yes, thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be here. Yay. So I've been really excited about this interview, seeing you a lot on Instagram, especially, and a lot of what you're putting out there. But for those who don't know you, why don't you start with giving us a little bit about your background and how you decided to become a sober coach? 
Right. So yes, thank you so much. My name is Jen Hurst and I'm a sober mom of two little humans who are six and eight and I live in Northern Minnesota and I am nine years sober coming up on 10 years, which is crazy to say that. After spending most of my career as a brand manager for a fitness company, I am now a full-time sober coach. And I realized after coming out of the sober closet about four years into my sobriety that people wanted to hear my story and how I did it Mm -hmm. as someone who I like to say lived in the sober closet uh, for that four years. It was really new to me. I wasn't comfortable talking about it, nor did I think that I should or could talk about it over fear of what people would think. um, The, the, what I learned through AA of not sharing about it. But once I did that, everything really, really changed. And I didn't start sharing about it publicly every single day, but it was just little breadcrumbs here and there that really directed me towards my career path. And from that moment forward, I've been on this self-improvement path, continuing to find ways to feel better and to improve my mindset in all areas from what I'm putting into my body to help my brain, to how I'm moving my body, to getting sunlight to morning routines of just ways to naturally feel good. And like I said, by sharing my story, it directed me to my career. And I now help women boost their confidence in sobriety by implementing these healthy habits from the get-go through my group coaching programs with real-life scenarios that we run into when making this big change in our lives of something I would have wanted 10 to 12 years ago when I was so lost and so confused, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know who to turn to. And there was only one way that I know of, which is so cool right now because there's so many ways to get sober, to stay sober. There's so many paths to take and there's no right or wrong way. And the things that I coach women on are, what do you say to people? You know, how do you set a boundary? Where do you need to set those boundaries with other people? Front ending your day with self-care, meditation and exercise, because I think sobriety is all encompassing. It's not just removing alcohol. It's really about taking care of yourself, of how much sleep are you getting? Uh, you know, what are your relationships like? How much water are you drinking? What are you saying to yourself? Taking a look at the thoughts that you're thinking. So it's all of these things that kind of really help women to to feel better. And I never knew that this would be my life path, but I thought back in 2018, I started as a Beachbody coach in 2017. And part of that was sharing your story. And I realized when I went to a Rachel Hollis conference called Rise, I think it was in 2018, I said, I think there's a different way that I can help women get sober. And I really want to make this a fun experience. I want women to want to get sober, not just something that's dreaded and really sad and something they have to do. I want to encourage women to want to do this for themselves, to feel better, to show up better. And how can I make this a really positive experience? And so that's really what I created. And it's, uh, it's amazing to see how much it's grown even in the past year, in the past few months, as more and more people are adopting and adapt or wanting this lifestyle, kind of asking themselves questions of 
what am I using alcohol for? And is this serving me? And knowing that you don't need to be an alcoholic to quit drinking, it's now becoming more of a wellness conversation, which is really, really cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. I actually went to a Rachel Hollis Rides conference in 2020 in Canada. So oh, you did. <laughs> yeah, so fun. Um, but congratulations, nine years. That's wonderful. And I wondered, like, what was the real inspiration like nine years ago? What kind of really put you on that? Like, nope, something needs to change. And here's, here's my journey. Here's what I'm going to do. Yeah, it was, I can't say that it was really any one thing. It was a lot of little and a lot little and big things that led up to really that decision to finally quit because my drinking didn't start with okay I had a drink at 15 and I was addicted like it did not happen that way I came mm-hmm. from a really great family I was from a perfectionist family I got great grades I didn't fit the mold of what a typical alcoholic would look like and so I bad that kept me stuck for many years because I'm like, I was high functioning. I did great at my job. I did, I had a great boyfriend and for, but for some reason, I just couldn't get that, this. And I was so fearful of calling myself that, of labeling, putting that label on myself that it kept me just alone and isolated and battling with myself, telling no one, hiding this to try to get something that I'm not even meant to be controlled. I'm, it's not meant to be moderated. And I just mm-hmm. didn't understand that. And it was a, as well as a lot of things that led up to that of using alcohol to, I mean, that's really where I started to abuse it of using alcohol to cope with heartbreak, which mm-hmm. turned into understanding and creating a, a seed within my brain that said, okay, so anytime life gets hard, I can just take that away with alcohol and I don't have to feel any pain anymore. And so as things I went about life when I was 22, that's really where it happened. When I got that idea, I started anytime life got hard, I would just drink. And anytime, and I'm a classic Enneagram three, which means I'm an overachiever and I'm a workaholic coming from a perfectionist family. So I would take on more and more to prove to myself that I could do everything. And if I achieved, then people would love me. But the more I took on, the more I drank. And I, it was just this vicious cycle until it got, got to a point where I just, I didn't even, I knew how I got there, but I was so stuck and I didn't know how to get out of it. And so it took many things. It was basically a 10 year progression. And I would like to there's so many different spectrums of drinking. There's gray area drinking. There's sober curious. There's really heavy alcohol use. I would like to say my drinking was really heavy. I was one of the more severe cases because I tested it and I wanted to prove to people and I really wanted to prove to myself that I didn't need help and I could do this on my own and I could get this and I could perceive this image that I could do everything. And I, if people knew that about me, what would they, would they think? And so it started... I was working full time. I was doing freelance full time. I'm a graphic designer. I was planning my wedding in 2010. And I just started drinking around the, the around the clock to cope with the stress. And so a day and a half or a couple days after my wedding, I just completely collapsed. And I like to show before and afters of my drinking because you wouldn't think 
that I had a problem because I was really, mm. really good at hiding it. And I was really, really good at putting on a front. And so it was literally two days after my wedding where I just collapsed and I, I stopped hiding it. I started drinking around the clock. It's where that year and a half span, I entered my first inpatient. Well, I started with outpatient. I then went to inpatient twice. I um, went back to outpatient. I got a DWI, went to detox. And it was really in t- April 23rd of 2013 where I was my parents had put me into detox and I could feel my body failing that uh, I knew if I didn't get this, I was literally going to die. And it had gotten to that point where I was losing things because I always justified Mm -hmm. it as, well, I haven't done that yet, you know? And then it was just, I started to lose things. I started to lose my car. I lost my job. And this girl who had it all together was now on the bridge of losing her marriage, on the bridge of being homeless. It was crazy how fast it progressed. And I really wanted to get sober when I entered treatment, but I just wasn't ready yet. I still had to do some field research to try to think I could moderate because your mind is a tricky, is a tricky little bastard sometimes. And it, it tries to think, make you think like you can control us, you know? And that's why I say you got to really want it and you have to be ready. And it was in that detox where I blew a 0.38 and I just said, my God, I'm going to lose everything. And by that point, mentally, I was done mm-hmm. and I was stopped trying to fight it. And I just, I didn't want to drink anymore. I wasn't trying to manage it or trying to hide it or trying to say one more time. I was just done. And I knew, like I said, I knew if I continued, I didn't know how many days I had left. So so that in itself was inspiration for me of if I don't do this, I don't know how many days I have left. And I knew that and I really, really felt that. So maybe it was wanting to live and not wanting to really die anymore. And so sometimes people call it a spiritual awakening. And so I feel like I had that in detox where I was just done. And after that point, everything got so much easier. Not saying I didn't have a lot of things to clean up. I had so many things, so many things I dug myself into a hole of court dates, house arrest, you know, I had to get a lawyer. Um, I didn't have a car. I started biking. I had to get a breathalyzer in my car. I didn't know if my husband and I were going to make it, but I knew nothing could make this. The only thing that would make this worse is if I drink. As long as I stay sober, I cannot make this any worse. And I just kept saying to my, that to myself. I kept showing up, doing the next right thing. And I think One thing that really helped me was before I entered my last inpatient stay, after I made this decision, my husband and I, we were, we were talking, but we were pretty silent because he didn't really know what to do with me because nothing was working. Mm -hmm. But I knew that this was the last time. And we took a drive through like this really nice neighborhood. And at that time we were in a townhouse. I really wanted children, but we weren't going to bring children into this world until I could get my crap together. Mm -hmm. And so And that just hurt me at the core. And we drove through this neighborhood after we went out to eat the day before I entered treatment. And I just saw our life, what our life could be like. 
oh my goodness, like start this this story oh. always chokes me up because I just felt I'm like I saw it was like sunset, you know, it was just the perfect. Mm. And I saw a brick house and I saw these two kids. And I just used that as motivation to continue of giving up whatever was going to happen and just keeping that vision in mind. And I saw those kids and it's so crazy to say that all of those things that I envisioned came true. And I now have a boy and a girl. It was a boy and a girl that I saw. Mm -hmm. And so I like to say I got sober and they are my biggest inspiration, even though they don't know it yet. And they weren't born at that time, but they were my biggest inspiration to get sober and I stay sober so I don't lose them. They're my constant Mm -hmm. reminder to keep on this path of what I would lose if I were to ever go back and think that I could moderate. So that was, I know that was a long-winded answer, but that was really, it was a lot of things over the span of 10 years that got me to that decision, but it was having that vision of what life could be like And knowing that as long as I do the next right thing, everything's going to be okay. So. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I like that it kind of pieces it into just little steps, right? Like just the next thing. Yeah. And I just need to stay sober and, and keep at it. That's great. Um, Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, when you were talking that, like that you deal and you coach with people that are kind of of different levels, like you said, you could classify yourself as a heavy drinker, but there are people kind of all over giving up alcohol. And I sort of land in that, like I have um, alcoholism in my family. And so it was always something like in the back of my mind, I'd be worried about. And so even though I'd have a couple of drinks and, you know, be fine. And I was drinking, you know, maybe once or twice a week, it just always worried me. Like I'd have that, like, am I okay? I'm not going to become like this. Right. And so I started to just think, well, why am I even bothering with this anymore? Like, and that was really what led me to it. Like, and I thought I'm doing all this work on my physical health and my mental health, you know, working out things in therapy. And I thought, but then I'm doing this other stuff that's making me anxious and, and stuff like that. So I don't know. It was, yeah, like kind of like what you said, like a different motivation and not really like a catalyzing point, but I'm almost two years and I'm just, I'm shocked like that. I don't miss it. Like I, I don't, you know, even when I go out with people, I just think, "Eh, no, I'm fine. I'll just be myself and, you know, drink my lemonade or whatever (laughs) I'm going to have. And isn't it such a, such a comfort to be yourself. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I think that was one of the best, I mean, congratulations on two years. I think, I mean, incredible. I am so freaking proud of you. And I think what you just said is is one of the biggest benefits is realizing that I don't need to become someone else. I don't mm-hmm. need to drink to be extroverted. I don't yes. need to be extroverted. I don't need to think that alcohol makes me funner mm-hmm. or more fun, funner, more fun. <laughs> I can just show up and be myself. And if I feel awkward, it, that's okay. I'm not mm-hmm. going to die. And I think that's one of the biggest benefits is learning to appreciate who I am and choosing more things that I truly enjoy and being around people who truly light me up and give me energy. And you really get to get really in tune with yourself in sobriety Mm -hmm. because we've kind of been fed this lie that we need this drug 
mm-hmm. to have fun, to be lovable, to for people to like us, to be included, to to relax. Celebrate. Yeah, any yep. sort of thing that when yep. you're not drinking, or maybe even when you are drinking or working, uh, that you need alcohol. And that's truly not the case. Because like you said, it's, you don't have to have a problem with it, you just really need to get curious of what am I using it for? And is it actually helping me with what I intend for it to do? What's the goal of that I have? And if it's if I have anxiety, mm-hmm. and I'm drinking, to make me relax. That's where like reading and like really understanding what you're putting in your body. Is it worth the anxiety, the high anxiety that alcohol does gives you the next day? Is it worth mm-hmm. that? Is it actually helping you relax? Yeah. And so little did I know that I had no idea that it was increasing my anxiety. No idea. Yeah. Same, same. That was another thing that I was thinking because I would get where I would have these, you know, thoughts the next day. And then I realized, oh, it's because of the alcohol. Like now you're paranoid and you're worried. And, um, and, and it was crazy because sometimes it would just be like one glass, maybe two glasses of wine. Like it wasn't much. It didn't take much to, you know, have those adverse effects. And I think you're right. People just aren't aware that that can happen. Mm-hmm. And can I add one thing too yeah. is like even having one glass of wine what can really impact your sleep too. And yeah. if it impacts your sleep, it's kind of like if you give the mouse a cookie, blah, 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 blah. But if you drink a glass of wine, it's going to affect your sleep. And if you get low sleep, then that's going to throw off tomorrow because you're going to be more irritable. You're going to make poorer choices probably because mm-hmm. I don't make the best choices when I'm sleep deprived, which then leads you back to, well, I just, I'm really tired. I'm really this, maybe a glass of wine will help. And then you go back to the wine and then you just kind of repeat that cycle. So like you said, just becoming aware and um, educating yourself about what alcohol really does to your body and how it affects you can do tremendous um have tremendous results and um, really asking yourself those questions of, is it really worth it if it's mm-hmm. going to impact my sleep and anxiety the next day? So you got to weigh those pros and cons. Yeah, absolutely. And I found it really came clear to me, like with sort of that testing piece when I gave up caffeine, because I did that first. And then it was oh, like, wow. it really showed up that like, okay, those glasses of wine are making a real difference because, you know, I was kind of more even. I wasn't in that cycle of like, have caffeine, have some wine to qu- calm down. You know what I mean? And, and that back and forth. So yeah, that's a great tip. Like kind of get curious in terms of what it's doing. I wondered, so you touched a little bit on it um, right there, but like what are some of the physical and emotional and mental health benefits that you found either for yourself or working with clients um, that people might not be aware of in terms of being sober? Yeah. I mean, number one that we just talked about was the anxiety. Mm-hmm. I think especially for women, um, anyone, I think everyone experienced anxiety in 2020 of yeah. the unknown um, and that it can really impact anxiety and depression. And now I have clients really even questioning, do I need to be on medication or was it just the alcohol? Mm-hmm. Um, it can help. I mean, the physical, emotional and health benefits of going sober, you're going to help to rebuild your brain because alcohol 
can shrink your brain. And sobriety helps it. So it helps to build that white matter and that gray matter as well as exercise can also help to rebuild your brain. And I think the most important thing for me is having a healthy brain uh, from now and into my elder years is just doing whatever I can to help to protect it. Um, But really brighter skin, I've noticed um, I have clients do always take a day one photo and a day 30, a day 60 and day 90. And it's incredible the how the inflammation has decreased. Their face is less puffy. Their eyes, I always see the biggest difference in their eyes. Their eyes are brighter. They like start to sparkle. They're clear. Their whites get whiter. Um, it reduces brain fog uh, mm. and lowers blood pressure. And a big one is you improve your sleep. So sleep can go one of two ways. You can develop insomnia, because especially if you're drinking to fall asleep, or you can also experience fatigue, which is extremely common in early sobriety. So allowing yourself to honor your sleep, but you're also getting really good quality sleep because even if you have one glass of wine, it's going to throw off your REM cycles, which is really essential in helping you feel rested. It's also going to lower your cancer risk. So alcohol is is, uh, connected to seven different types of cancer. So it's going to lower your cancer risk. Um, You're going to improve your heart. You're gonna, I think a big one is you're going to have more energy. And what my clients have found is, oh, my God, I'm tackling my to-do list. I'm getting to those things that I never had time for because alcohol took up all of my time. And I think especially in my groups, being surrounded by a group of women is the improved confidence that they have mm-hmm. of you know, moving your body, I always stress moving your body, the more time that they have. Um, Sometimes it's saved money, but uh, a lot of sometimes we spend that on mocktails and things (laughs) like that. Yes. But improving your liver and gut health, one of the best things that you you can do for your gut is to stop drinking because alcohol destroys your gut. So Mm -hmm. it's really like you said, you were doing all these good things for your body But then we were drinking wine at night, which actually counters all of those good things that you're doing. Mm -hmm. So even if you're taking medication and vitamins, when you're having alcohol, that cancels out so many of those benefits of what you're taking to help you to feel better. So if you're on medication, it's allowing your body to use that medication and that medication can actually work to its 100% capacity Because now you don't have alcohol that's decreasing its benefits. So there's just, there's so much um, benefits towards removing this one thing that can provide and ripple into so many other things. And I think for myself, especially is it improved my relationships. It saved my marriage. Um, I found uh, my purpose in life of helping other women get sober. And it's such a relief to know exactly what you did last night and to Mm -hmm. not have, oh my gosh, what did I say? How much did I drink? What did I do? Um, Trying to manage the and control your alcohol consumption, how much mental space that takes up Mm -hmm. for you to manage that of when you truly release that. Now you have the opportunity to focus on those things that truly bring you joy and those things that you really want to do. And so um, just so much more time, energy, and overall feeling better. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I would say I would add like just feeling more present as well, like, you know, because you're not, you know, kind of inebriated and sort of unsure of what you did, like kind of going along with what you said, knowing, knowing what you did the night before and everything with that, but just knowing that, you know, okay, I'm experiencing this and I'm as present as I can be kind of thing. Yes, exactly. And that's a big one I hear in the groups as well as being able to be present with their children, of enjoying reading a book with their kids and really not rushing, actually wanting to spend time with their kids and not rushing them to bed in order for Mm -hmm. them to go drink. So Mm -hmm. they're slowing down. And especially if you have young kids, but you you only get a limited amount of time where they want you and they want you to cuddle and they want to spend time with you and they think you're one of the coolest people on the planet. (sighs) And so every single moment of when my daughter wants to cuddle, I just get to just sit there and close my eyes and just say, remember this, really remember yeah. this. Cause I know it's not going to last forever. And I think there's so much joy in that of being able to be the tooth fairy at night mm-hmm. and not being passed out, being able to, you know, if your child or if someone were sick in the middle of the night, you would be able to drive them somewhere mm-hmm. of those. You don't really realize It's those things that you can be so freaking grateful for. So what I like to do on Saturdays, I call them get to Saturdays. I was trying to switch the mindset of instead of saying, you know, turning FOMO into JOMO of this fear of missing out of, I'm going to miss out on so much. I'm not going to be fun. Well, how can we turn that into joy of missing out? So I call them get to Saturdays. So I always like to have something planned for a Saturday morning. And I say, Before you put what you did Saturday morning, I want you to put in front of it, I get to. So what Mm. is it you get to do? And so for so many women, because I I emphasize exercise a lot in my groups, I get to go outside for a 30-minute walk before my kids get up or uh, Mm -hmm. I get to enjoy a warm cup of coffee on my couch. I get to go to my son's basketball game. And feel great. I get to do this. And so really having that mindset of it's not really what you're missing out on, but what are you gaining by feeling good, by actually waking up and feeling rested over the weekend and not going Mm -hmm. into money Monday, trying to play catch up from the weekend festivities of now you're actually truly rested and recharged and ready to start another week. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I totally agree with that. And even when you were saying, you know, what you get to do with young children, it is similar with teens, like my son's 13. But now I know, like, if he's out somewhere, or my daughter is at a sleepover, like, if I have to go get them, because there's a problem at 11 o'clock on a Saturday, it's fine. Like, I won't have yeah. been drinking. And I can kind of trust that I, I'm more like available, I guess I feel like so. Yeah, that's a great, great one. Um. The other thing thinking about kids is now that I don't drink, I'm really noticing how much drinking and alcohol kind of come into a lot of the shows that they're watching, how much, you know, the ads are around. And I know I've seen some things around this on your Instagram, like this concept of normalizing alcohol around our kids. And I just Mm -hmm. wonder if you could talk about that, like why you think it's important in terms of normalizing sobriety around our kids. 
Yeah, this is such an important topic and something I've become more and more aware of and just mm-hmm. being able to pick it out of something that I didn't even notice before that now that now is becoming just radars on my on my in my mind of whenever I see it, we were just watching Ratatouille last week. Mm-hmm. And, I'm like, and I said, oh, my God, the amount of drinking and showing a guy enticing a man to get drunk mm-hmm. to disclose more about the restaurant. And I said, and I'm watching my kids watch us. I was also watching my son who loves football, who is, you know, during the day at noon, watching football, watching a Bud Light commercial come on and saying, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, fun or easy or enjoy the taste or something like that. And I'm watching him watch that. And it's like, just a, like a light bulb moment of, Oh my gosh, what are they consuming from him watching football to him going to a baseball game, seeing a woman Mm -hmm. chug a beer on the screen. And I'm not saying this is going to drive him to become an alcoholic or to have a drinking problem, but I do feel like it does add up. So I think Mm -hmm. just becoming aware of what they're consuming and even starting with yourself. What are my actions? Our children tend to do as we do, not as we say. So make sure, what are you modeling for your kids? Um, And knowing that you have control over that. So again, I can't protect my kids, but I can show them what it means to take care of myself. So every single morning, my kids come down and I'm either finishing up a workout or I'm getting ready. So that means moving my body, drinking my water, getting outside and going for a walk, showing them that even if other people around me are drinking and my kids, they do know about alcohol. I didn't Mm -hmm. think they knew, but they know because they pick up on everything. Mm -hmm. My husband drinks. He doesn't drink a lot. He has a beer once in a while, but my son knows what beer is. He knows Mm -hmm. what alcohol is. We had a conversation about it last year, but it, what are the behaviors that I'm modeling to them? Not that I'm trying to push it on them, but I also feel like they deserve to know the risks involved with what Mm -hmm. they're consuming. And also to talk to them early. There's never really too early of an age. You don't have to disclose everything, nor as I am to my son. But if he's curious, I'm going to tell him. I'm not going to tell him everything because he has a choice. I'm not going to push sobriety, but I am going to show him two ways. Um, So... I really want to keep that conversation open, knowing that, again, they have options, that it's not you go to college, you do this. But Mm -hmm. again, they deserve to know the risks, which I didn't. I was just taught to, you know, with the D.A.R.E. program, say no. But why? Why? Why Mm -hmm. should I say no? Like what is involved? What are the risks associated with that? But why should I say no to this? And more and more, which is so great to see more and more is coming out on the dangers of alcohol. And I fully believe in, I think even quicker, like five years, if that, we're going to view alcohol the same way we view cigarettes today. And Mm -hmm. so it's shifting. We're right in the middle of it, right actually at the beginning but more and more companies are are coming out with non-alcoholic options. And mm-hmm. now we're beginning to normalize sobriety and not having to attach a label to someone who chooses not to do so. We can do that from just wanting to take care of ourselves. And so a new book that came out uh, that I've recently started following, her name is Jessica Leahy, Leahy called 
the addiction inoculation, raising healthy kids in a culture of dependence. So you can check out her Instagram page as well. Her Instagram handle is teacher Leahy. So L A H E Y. And she just has, she's opening this conversation of how many instances kids are, uh, have alcohol portrayed to them in any given day. And, Like I said, I don't think it's going to be the catalyst of what drives them, but I think the brainwashing starts early Mm -hmm. and just becoming aware, I think is the first step. And then starting with yourself of what am, what are they seeing in their eyes by what I am doing? Because their biggest hero, especially when they're little is their parents. And so if daddy's doing that, then that must be cool. Or Mm -hmm. what is mom doing? How is she? I can show them a healthy lifestyle and not tell them. And that's really what I like to do in my sobriety. I don't want to tell people to get sober and sober is the right way, but I'm going to show people what sobriety looks like Mm -hmm. and have that through my actions. Yeah, I love that. The modeling piece is so important for sure. And just showing a different way kind of thing. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking about some people that have maybe listened to this and thought, okay, maybe this is something I should try. Any tips for someone that's thinking of becoming sober or is newly sober, but they're kind of having a tough time navigating the new lifestyle or, you know, problem solving in areas where they normally would have had a drink? Yeah. Well, number one is keep the labels out of it. I think we've discussed this a few different times on this podcast, but you don't have to call yourself an alcoholic. You don't have to think you have a problem. I would say just try it for 30 days and see how you feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also really feel like books, like start reading and again, becoming aware and getting curious. So one book I really recommend to everybody to start with is The Snake of Mind by Annie Grace, because I fully believe my Angelo says it, but when we know better, we do better. So start educating yourself of what, in your, what you're putting into your body. Because chances are the media is not going to give this side as of right now. You're going to have to do that research on by yourself. Number two is get in a community if you can. So there's great groups on Facebook, free groups. Uh, I have a free group on Facebook. There's so many. If you need recommendations, let me know. But by God, do not do this alone. And There is absolutely nothing wrong with you and start getting curious. So we talked about it, but start asking yourself some questions just like you did. Why do I drink? Is this really going to help? And how am I going to feel after? How do I feel Mm -hmm. after I drink? And is that really worth it? So just start asking yourself some questions. Um, And one thing I really like to tell people is to start moving your body Getting outside, getting some vitamin D and endorphins naturally is just really going to help you to feel better. And there's so many different options right now. So even if you are going out, there's so many different options right now with mocktails and things like that. So try, you know, try replacing one of your glasses of wine with a mocktail or either a non-alcoholic option. But if you find that triggering, then don't do it. You can try Mm -hmm. some tea, you can try some Mm -hmm. sparkling water, you can try just plain water. There's so many different 
paths to either treating yourself or trying something new. So you got to be open to trying those new things. And just know that it's okay to feel uncomfortable. It's okay, especially if you're new at this. Mm -hmm. It's really taken me a long time to know that it's okay to be shy. It's okay to feel sad. And you don't need to fix Mm -hmm. what you're feeling. We don't need to fix feelings. You just either need to sit with them or else move the feeling through you, through movement, through talking to someone in ways that are healthy, that are going to help you to feel better after and not before or during. So just know that no matter what you're feeling, you don't have to drink over it. And you can just accept that all feelings are just feelings and they don't last forever. I think we've been conditioned to think that feeling sad is somehow a bad thing, but actually it's really important and it's really important to cry. It's really important to have, you know, fear, to be nervous, to be in all of these different feelings. They're all accepted and we wouldn't even know a good or bad feeling if we want to even classify them if we didn't experience them. So just allow feelings and find ways to help you to move through those in a healthy way. Absolutely. I think that's great. And, and even just that, yeah, trying it, that's kind of what I did. Like, I was like, Oh, I'm gonna just start, you know, for 30 days and see how this goes. And then it was sort of like, well, I don't really want to drink now. And I just kept doing it. It just, and, you know, keep adding to yeah. it. So I think that's great. Um, any other key pieces of advice or tips that you want to share before we wrap up? Um, Just honestly, like you said, taking it one day at a time, you'll feel you'll get your groove. But like you said, just give it a try. And you don't need to have an excuse as to why you're doing it. You can just simply do it because you want to feel better and see what life is like Mm -hmm. without it. And if you think you do have a problem or if you can't stop, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. And it's nothing to be ashamed about. You act you don't have to hit a rock bottom or have a bad moment to question why you drink alcohol. You can simply decide to pivot and turn down a different path because you want, you're curious about what life would be like. But again, by becoming addicted, or if you can't stop, your body is just naturally doing what it's supposed to. So it's nothing to be ashamed about. There's nothing wrong with you. And everything's going to be all right. But you cannot do that alone. You got to get in a community to know that you're not alone. So, but again, this stuff doesn't come in one day and your sobriety does just doesn't show up in one day. It's just a constant process of self-improvement. So, mm-hmm. and it's a really cool time to start to do this because it's becoming normalized. People are talking about it. There's more non-alcoholic options and people are owning it and starting to share and be open about it, which is really freaking cool to see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen so much this year. Like a lot of people are doing dry January and then I've seen a push for dry February. So it's like, you know, maybe some people are just going to keep rolling through these challenges and <laughs> yeah, end up noticing those changes that we were talking about. So yeah, and it doesn't have to be a forever thing. And sometimes women in my groups get so fearful of, oh my gosh, is this a forever thing? And I said, 
try not to future trip into forever and just Mm -hmm. start focusing on the next 24 hours. And I know that's hard because who you are today, or if they have a vacation coming up, I always say Mm -hmm. who you are today is not who you're going to be by next week. Because if you keep alcohol out of your system, the growth that takes place in a week, Mm -hmm. in a few days, in a month is freaking crazy. So it's impossible to think that your mindset is going to be the same as who you are today to who you are in a week or 30 days. So just keep focusing on those next 24 hours and keep making that decision. Yeah, that makes sense. I I had the same thinking too. And then it was like, ah, just, you know, one day at a time. And um I just went on a vacation, like an all-inclusive kind of thing. And and that was one that I thought, well, that's going to be really weird and not drink, right? When everyone's kind of all you can drink while you're there. But I had no problem. I had my virgin daiquiris and like it was totally fine and fun. And um, yeah, it's it's amazing how different it can be. Absolutely. That's crazy that you brought that up. And I actually had a woman in my group bring that up because she's going on vacation to an all-inclusive resort. And she said, I'm going to, I feel like I'm going to be missing out. I'm not going to get the best investment for the money because I'm not drinking. I said, it's all in your mindset because actually by drinking, you're missing out on so many activities and things and experiences of of honestly being present for this, in this beautiful location by Mm -hmm. drinking it's taking you away from that and you're actually not fully there. So now you fully get to experience the vacation, actually feel rested and recharged. Mm-hmm. And I told her the same thing. I'm going to get virgin daiquiris, virgin margaritas, you know, yep. whatever, sign up for activities, go snorkeling or snorkeling or swimming with dolphins, all of those different mm-hmm. things. It's just flipping that mindset because actually drinking is a waste of investment into that vacation. So when you're truly sober and present, now you're getting the most money's worth. Mm-hmm. No, I totally agree. And and I wouldn't have thought that two years ago. So <laughs> Yeah, me either. I'm like, oh my God, I just even signed up for this for the free drinks, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, That's great. I know. Well, I've appreciated this so much. How can listeners find out more about you? I know you mentioned a Facebook group. What is um, your social media and your online presence like? Yeah, so you can go to my website. It's joinlighthousesobriety.com to find out about upcoming groups and a little bit more about me. But I really like to hang out on Instagram. So my Instagram handle is Jen Lee Hurst, J-E-N-L-E-E-H-I-R-S-T. And then you can check out, I do have a free Facebook group that's called Lighthouse Sobriety that you can also check out. Uh, We host free Tuesday meetings. They're usually speaker meetings. You don't have to have your video on. You can just sit there and listen. The most important part is that you're there, but it's just Mm -hmm. a community of women to share and have an outlet to a non-judgmental outlet to share about what you're going through and find those women who are also going through that same thing and who can, who also get that. So Mm -hmm. all of that is, um, in my on my website and in my Instagram page. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for your time. I'm hoping this will inspire people that are listening and maybe thinking about making a change and give them some good positive uh, feedback on that. So thanks again for your time today. Yes, thank you so much. 
Thank you so much to Jennifer Hurst for being part of the podcast. I just loved this conversation. I felt like I could have talked about it nonstop. Um, And it's just, like I said, so funny because I've never really been um, in this position. I really, like, I disliked alcohol a lot growing up. It was something that I just saw as very negative. But then, you know, as I hit the age of drinking, it became part of my culture and, and what I was doing. And now I'm really glad to be able to kind of set an example for my kids of what it can look like without drinking, that that's an option too. And I don't want to do it in a preachy way because I know they'll eventually make their own decision. But I think at least to see like, oh, okay, well, you know, you can be involved in events, you can do fun things, you can go to concerts, you can be out and not have to drink if that's not what you choose to do. So I think this um, conversation gives so many good options and also allows us to start to consider what our world maybe looks like without alcohol. And if you're someone that is struggling with alcohol, please reach out to Jen. Please reach out. You know, she mentions different programs like AA. I know the medical profession can be helpful. If your workplace has an EAP program, there are tons of places to reach out to try to start to gain support and make change if that is the position that you need to be in. Um, again, thanks so much to Jen. If you want to connect with her, you can see her on Instagram at Jen Lee, L-E-E Hurst, H-I-R-S-T. You can join her free Facebook group, Lighthouse Sobriety, and visit her website, joinlighthousesobriety.com. Again, thank you so much to Jen for this conversation. I felt so excited after I spoke with her, and I hope that you do after listening to this. Again, if you've got ideas for shows, you want to learn more about a certain area, please feel free to reach out to me. I love to hear what everybody's thinking about. It definitely helps me when I'm reaching out to guests and even thinking about ideas to cover from a personal perspective. Thank you for listening and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Learning to Slay the Beast podcast. Please keep in mind, this podcast is not intended to be medical or professional advice. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can follow me on social media, Instagram and TikTok at Sarah Lady Gluten or Facebook, Sarah underscore Gluten Free Lady. You can also visit my website, which includes author information, speaking information, and more info on the podcast at www.se-german.com. If you like the podcast, please feel free to review the podcast on your favorite platform and also subscribe because it means that it will show up for you every week on your favorite podcast platform. Also, we've just started to have the ability to support the podcast. You can find this link in my Instagram bio or visit Kofi, ko-fi.com slash learning to slay the beasts. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.